0: Good morning church, Merry Christmas, I love to say that, I'm tired of the happy holidays, just a pet peeve of mine, you all have to excuse me. Okay, I'm not going to go other places, this is a time of year as you well know I'm sure where boxes are everywhere, I'm going to talk about boxes today. They come in all shapes, all sizes. Um, I, I um, happen to be an, I've become an avid and early Christmas shopper and I've never been that. I was always the guy, you know, the last week, the last couple of days of the last week because I don't like shopping. But God has, has blessed me with this thing called Amazon. And they bring it right to my front door. And half the time I don't even have to get it because Marilyn goes out and gets it. It's just a wonderful thing. So as far as I know, my shopping's all done and has been done for a little bit. It's a wonderful thing. All these boxes just magically appear and I didn't, I didn't have to leave the house. We, We like boxes. Boxes. Pique our interests. Boxes just draw us in, they attract us. But what's really the truth about that, if we think about it, the box isn't really important. Right? It's really, it's really not what that's about. The box itself has not no value, but minimal value. Limited, limited value. Because everybody knows that it's what's inside. Right? It's what's inside that counts, which leads me to the title for our message today. What's in the box? We're going to talk about that for a little bit and hope that we can pull some things that will help you. A box is just a promise. It's a promissory note that something better is to come. Would you agree with that? Nobody likes, unless you're under two years old. Two-year-olds like empty boxes. They play with anything. They'll throw out every was in the box, to play with the box. But other than that, to us, it's not about the box. In the Old Testament, there's three places it talks about boxes that I want to look at as, as the outline for our, our time together. Each one was filled with something that we desperately need. Um, each one tells us something about the nature and the character and the heart of our God. And each one throughout, not just these three, but throughout scripture, the the motivation behind the character and nature and activity and will and plans that are unfolding of God is the simple fact that God is a gift giver. He really is. He's a gift giver. Everything he has done and will do is because he loves to give us good things. It's who he is. It's what he's like. And and I hope today by looking at these three boxes, we can get a, a better and bigger or probably nothing new but a reminder of how good our God is. How great he is. You know, holiday seasons can be exciting, but they can also be depressing for some folks. They can also be tension-filled for some folks. They can also, you know, work against us. And, and, and I hope that whichever end of that scale you may be on, that you'll find renewed energy and joy as we realize and remind ourselves who, who God is. The, the Old Testament translators, they, they didn't use the term box. Okay, um, there, there were three Hebrew words, basically, that all carry the same definition. And the definition, is it simply means a box-like container. And the translators used a different word. They used the word ark, A-R-K, all right? Some of you people who like to think ahead, you're already planning on where we might be going. And you're gonna be a little bit right, and maybe a little bit surprised. Um, As we work through this, three times we see that God needed a box. He needed an ark in order to to send us a gift that we desperately needed. That's what we want to look into. what's, What's in the box? That's where we're going to find supernatural provision. When God is the gift giver, we find supernatural provision and blessing and goodness. We find just what we need from the hand of our God. Each box, as we walk through this, this time together, each box was ordained by God. It was built by human hands, but it was filled by God. And it contained something that we couldn't provide for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we give you this time and we pray that as we open your word that your Holy Spirit will be present among us. Holy Spirit, you you breathed, you inspired this word for godly men to write. And I pray as we, we look into that word that you would breathe again on it into our hearts, into our minds. I, I pray you speak to everyone something they need to hear. I, I pray that The good good gifts you've already poured out but keep coming fresh to us every day would would be open in the hearts and minds of people today in the area of their need. Bless this time. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Okay, the first one. Of course, you already know this one. Noah's Ark. We're going to look at as the first ark that we, it's the first time the term ark is used um, in scripture, by the way. Let's go to Genesis 6. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I'll destroy them with the earth. Here it is. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. You know, some, thought, some people think, and I've, I've had the thought myself, that we listen to the news, we look around, we, we see culture and some of the things that are happening, and and we're tempted to say well things are worse than they've ever been you ever had that thought um I've, I've had that thought and and i would say first of all none of us are qualified to make that statement because we can only make the statement in context of however many years we've lived so i could say or my opinion is that there are some things in this world in my span of life that i would say is worse than it was okay is that fair Worse than it was. But I don't think we can say yet, anyway, that the world world is worse than it's ever been. That it's never been darker. It's never been more filled with wickedness. But as we read this account in Noah's day, the whole world had devolved to its lowest level. If we went up to verse 5, it says, every intention and thought of the world's heart every person in the world save these eight was evil continually everything all flesh all flesh had corrupted its way verse 11 says that the earth was filled with violence now it's interesting lilia sent me a a video, a YouTube video, a couple of weeks ago to watch. From it was a messianic rabbi, and he was making comment. He was asked to make some comment on some of the current events that's happening within Israel today, and um, the the stress between Israel and, and um, the Palestinians. And, and you're more than aware of what's going on. But the point he made, and when he said it, I remembered I, I had I had heard this and studied or read this before. But, but it came fresh again in light of the backdrop of what's happening today that when the Bible says that the earth is filled with violence. The word violence there in the Hebrew is Hamas, which you just find interesting. But understand, he wasn't, that wasn't a prophetic utterance in as far as referring to some terrorist group or some people group. He was saying the earth was filled. The earth was under the influence of the spirit of Hamas. The spirit of violence. The whole world. We may see some bad things, but I don't think we're at that stage yet at least. And by the grace of God, I don't know how God's going to unfold all of time. But I hope we never get quite to to that point. But where we are now is enough. There's enough violence in the world for me right now. I don't know about you. There's enough Hamas going around. The spirit of Hamas has been released and is increasing in some areas and ways that it seems. We have normalized the violence that we perform against the unborn and the elderly. We don't even think of it in those terms hardly anymore. Even as Christians, we've sort of gotten numb to it because it's so... In front of us all the time, that we sort of move on to other things, but it's a terribly violent thing—the the the Hamas of civil relationships that that we see happening around us. People just these random acts of violence. The spirit of Hamas is is released and and is moving and looking for places to express itself. Social Hamas you see the. Videos from our college universities and and just the, the fear and the anger that is controlling the population, all fruits of this this spirit of Hamas, and it says that in the middle of this, there's the hope, in the middle of this, all this violence, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God says, Noah. I have, to, I have to do something. I'm going to put an end to the Hamas that's controlling the earth. So I want you to build yourself a box. That's my instruction to you, Noah. And so the first ark that we see in the Bible is an ark that where God is saying, I see you. In all the midst of all the other stuff, you're mine and I know it. I recognize it and my eyes upon you in the middle of all this. It's, it's an arc of God's divine favor. Aren't you thankful for the favor of God in your life? I hope you recognize it and, and are grateful for it. What's favor? I say it's, it's God's active watchfulness and kindness over those who are devoted to him. Have you found God to be watching out for you sometimes? Have you found God to be kind towards you? Maybe even when you did something that you messed up, you find still there his kindness to meet you. In the text, it's in the midst of absolute darkness. Yet Noah finds the light of God's favor, shining bright in his life. And that's true today because it's the same God. We worship the same God. And he loves to shine his favor on his people. Let me give you four things about favor, and then we're going to move on to something else. Number one, God's favor follows the faith-filled. His favor follows the faith-filled. It says in verse 9, Noah was righteous, blameless, and walked with God. Doesn't say he was perfect. Doesn't say he never messed up. Doesn't say he never you know, stepped over a line, it says that his lifestyle, to the best of his ability, with all of his intent and and his heart was bent towards being righteous and blameless and walking with God. Noah found favor from God because he committed his life to follow God. Note, he didn't find favor and then walk with God. He found favor as he walked with God. Favor is a fruit of serving God. Favor is a fruit of walking with God. Favor puts us in a place where God can show and be favorable to us as we walk with God. Noah's whole heart was devoted to God. It wasn't perfect. But that was his desire and that was his intent and that was how he lived his life. You know, you're, you're always aware of people you, you love and people who love you. you you're just always aware that you're always conscious of them. You, you, you know about them. And God's no different. It says the whole earth was corrupt, but Noah. But Noah. See, God knows where his people are. God knows where you are. If you're in a time of difficulty, God knows where you are. If you're in a time of of ease or prosperity or victory, God knows where you are. Because he loves you. His eye is always on those who walk with him. He he pays attention to those who are called by his name. I love the verse in 2 Chronicles. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro... Throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Isn't that a great picture? Think about that. The God of heaven. His eyes are darting around the whole earth to find you. To keep track of you. To pay attention to you. Last week, um, we went to my granddaughter, Gracie. She She was in a Christmas program. And we went, of course, we went. And I watched, and it was delightful. But the times that Gracie was on stage, I saw everything. I saw all that were there, but my eye was on Gracie. It's like, oh, aren't those nice, those, all those other kids are helping. Me. The star. Right? Because that's, that's what we do. But as you walk with God, that's God. He sees it all, but he keeps his eye on you. He sees all that's going on, aware of it, but he keeps special attention, special focus on you. That's called favor. That's called the favor of God. Number two, God's favor doesn't exempt us from hard time. I wish that wasn't true. In fact, sometimes it's God's favor that adds to our difficulty because sometimes people in the world and life responds adversely to the presence of God. You know, for Noah, it wasn't easy building something that nobody had ever seen because of something that had never happened. That was the dilemma he was in. Go build an ark. Great, I'll do that. Thank you, God. What's an ark? No one had ever Seen a built an ark before. And because it never rained before. And Noah is given this task. And it was great. Oh, God sees me. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, go build an ark. And for the next hundred years, Noah's showing up every day on the worksite site to build an ark. And remember, he's doing this in the setting of a totally complete, Co- corrupt earth. I doubt that he got a lot of applause. I doubt that the neighbors walked by and said, hey, go Noah. Yeah. My guess is he'd show up in the morning and some stuff was swiped from the construction site. He had to go out and find more gopher wood. Sometimes we're not exempt from life's stuff just because we belong to God. It's just a fact, Noah's task was hard. The pressure around him was hard, but yet he stayed devoted. He continued to walk with God. He guarded his heart. He walked uprightly. Righteousness was his goal in everything that he did. I found that a person will endure great hardship for the favor of someone that they treasure, or love, or value. We'll do that as people. We're we're sort of wired that way. You know, if you've been in a dating situation, you'll do things you've never done. You'll, You'll get up early and stay up late. You'll do whatever it takes to get the favor of the object of your affection. You'll spend time. You don't have, you'll spend money. You shouldn't, you'll go places. You don't like you'll lie and say, Oh, I love this restaurant. (laughs) Can I tell you something you belong to, and you serve a God who knows no limits. That he won't cross no lines. He won't cross to show you his favor because you're the apple of his eye. You're the object of his affection and you can rest in that. No matter what's happening in the world around you, you could rest in that. Number three, God's favor partners us with God. You notice God didn't build the ark for Noah. Wouldn't that have been easier? And Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, here's the ark. God didn't do that. God will always do his part, but in his whole plan, there's always going to be a part for us. There's always going to be something for us. There's always going to be a DIY project that God's going to put our name on as part of the overall giving or granting of his favor. Israel's hungry. God provides manna, but he said, you go out every morning and collect it. They're thirsty. He gives them water out of a rock. He says, "But bring your own bucket." If you look at the promises of God, an overwhelming majority of majority of them are promises from God of what God will do. But there's a, there's a condition: I will if you. Many of the promises are worded similar to that because. So why God? You don't have to do it that way. You could just you could just do it for us. Why? Well, because let's remember another characteristic of God. He's a father and he's a perfect father. And what's the goal of a good father? The goal of a good father is to raise children to maturity. And you don't do that by doing everything for them. I went to college the first week of college. I was thankful for that. My mother taught me how to do laundry I could tell who didn't because all their wardrobe became one color over time. See, God wants us to be mature sons and daughters. He wants us to be able to handle not only the milk of the world, world, but word but the, the meat of the word of God. There's more yet he wants to teach every one of us. There's more yet he has to do in each of our lives in our own maturation. So he always has something that he asks of us in his unfolding plan of favor. The last one, favor often takes time. Noah spent decades and and I'm sure during that time, some of the time it didn't feel like favor. It didn't feel like favor. I I don't want to build an ark today, I need a break. It, It just didn't feel like favor. You know, it's possible that we could miss favor if we quit too soon. What if Noah would have decided halfway through, I'm tired of this and never finished the ark? What would he have done when it rained he said, Oh God, I was just kidding, just taking a break. We can, we can miss out on the favor of God by quitting too soon by giving up too soon because the task gets too hard or it's taking too long. Well, after all, God, I came and I I prayed two times about that and nothing's changed. Don't you wish when when I was looking at this, this thought came into my head, so I wrote it down. I wish God would have made waiting a spiritual gift instead of a spiritual discipline. Wouldn't that have been better? God didn't ask my opinion, so I don't get a vote, but Boy, that would have been so much nicer. Yet throughout Scripture, as we follow the the men and women listed in Scripture and God's dealings with them, you you almost always see a delay. Just a a, a little bit of a delay. The prophet Elijah goes in and he wants to raise the the widow's son from the dead. And he lays across the boy and he prays out to, to God. Nothing happens does it again. an happens. He had to do it three times. Why? God, why didn't you do it on the first time? There's something about learning the timings of God that are important. Daniel prays and he prays and he prays and he prays and it's 21 days. God said, I answered the first time you prayed, but there was a delay. There were some things that happened. There were some other things I had to take care of and line up first for the prayer, the answer to get through to you. See, prayer or favor will show up. I I promise you that God's favor will show up in your circumstance. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. Don't quit too soon. Don't stop. His favor will catch up with you. His favor will overtake your situation. No matter how, but it might take some time. And there might be some hardship aligned with it or a part of it. Just keep walking. we got to keep moving. Number two, Moses' ark. You say, well, Moses didn't have an ark. Well, we'll see. You know, the entire book of Exodus, because that's where we're going to be going, it, it's, it's set up. The whole book is set up in this one verse. I I didn't put it on the screen, so I'll just read it to you. Or did I put it on the screen? No. Um, Moses Ark. There should be a picture of the Ark. No? Huh? Moses Ark. Doesn't say Moses. You don't have a slide that says Moses? Okay, that's real interesting. It was there yesterday. No, that's Noah. That's Noah. There should be a Moses one. Not today? All right. Fine. I'm learning patience. Let's talk about Moses. The entire book of Exodus set up by this verse. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who what? Remember the verse? Didn't know Joseph. Who didn't know Joseph. So we need to rewind a little bit just to put this in in a context. Um, Who's Joseph? Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's of that lineage. Jacob, name was changed to Israel had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. There came a time when um, there was a famine in the land. And like everyone else, Joseph's family, Jacob's family was, was starving. All right? Now, let's pause. Joseph wasn't very popular with his other brothers. He had 10 older brothers. They hated him. And to such a point that they sold him into slavery, faked his death, And convince his father that Joseph had died out in the wilderness somewhere. Joseph, in the meantime, now is carted off to Egypt as a slave. But every place he finds himself, he finds the favor of God. And he excels. And he rises. He's he's sold to a a man who's an official in the the Egyptian army or or politics in some way. We don't know for sure. Uh, His name is Potiphar. And he rises to the top. And he's running Potiphar's house successfully. That falls apart. He finds himself in prison as a result. And he ends up running the prison. And the, the jailers put him in charge of, of all, the, all the prisoners that are in there. Rises to the top. Pharaoh has a dream. Can't interpret it. None of his magicians or counselors can interpret it for him. He doesn't know what to do. He's he's bothered by it. He hears that there's this guy in prison named Joseph who knows how to interpret dreams. So he brings him out. Joseph interprets interprets the dream. And behold, he finds himself second in command under Pharaoh himself. Now, that's a bird's eye view of a lot of stuff that happened. But it's, it's this Joseph. And under Joseph, this famine is going, right? And Joseph... God gives Joseph the wisdom of a plan of how to prepare for the famine that's coming and then how to administrate during the famine for the safety of, number one, Jacob sent his sons and they bought food from Joseph to take back home because they were starving. And all of Egypt was blessed by it as well. So so this is unfolding and, and Joseph had this tremendous influence And saved not only Israel, but saved Egypt in a very literal way. But now Joseph is dead. His his 11 brothers, they're dead. That whole generation is gone. And now we come to our text. There was a Pharaoh who comes to power that doesn't know. Joseph knows a big word there. Doesn't mean he didn't know about him doesn't mean necessarily that he never met him. We don't know that. It means that he disproved of Joseph. He he didn't appreciate or or, uh, validate all that Joseph had done. Because keep in mind, it wasn't just about the famine. Joseph was second in command. Joseph was instrumental in constructing the, the governmental form and policies and procedures of Egypt. The most powerful nation on earth. And a lot of it reflected laws and policies and practices that Joseph influenced. Israelites and Egyptians coexisted peacefully for years, for decades. But this new Pharaoh comes to power and he disapproves of all of it. And he looks at Israel not through knowing Joseph, but disapproving Joseph, and he sees Israel now or the Israelites as a liability. And so he says, we get, we've got to stop this. They're getting too big. There's too many of them. And so he calls for a genocide of all male babies. He calls the, the Israelite um, midwives. He says, when you go and you deliver the Israelite, Israelite babies, if it's a boy, we want you to, we want you to kill them. We, we don't want the male babies to live. And there's a story, you can read it in your Bible, that the midwives sidestepped that whole thing. Didn't happen. So Pharaoh doesn't give up. He tells all the Egyptians, not just the army, not just certain people, he tells the Egyptians, all Israelite boys under two years old, throw them in the Nile. And we don't know, but I and I hate to think of how many baby boy lives were, were sacrificed. So we come now to the text talking about Moses. Exodus 2, 3, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bull rushes and daubed it with butamon and pitch. She put in the child, the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river. So here's where we're at. A guy named Amran His wife, Jochebed, have a baby boy. She hides him for three months. But now he's getting bigger. Now he's getting louder. She can't hide him anymore. Let me read you the King James. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him, she made for him an ark. Of bulrushes. We know the story. Pharaoh finds him, takes him out into her home. Little did she know. That she was rescuing the one that God, the very one God was going to use to rescue Israel, to set God's people free. When God sees his people are in trouble, here's a principle, here's, here's the gift showing the character of God. When he sees his people in trouble, he prepares an ark of deliverance in advance. In advance, Moses was no deliverer at this point. He's a baby. He was no deliverer as he grew up. In fact, if you know the story, he gets kicked out of, he, well, he doesn't get kicked out. He flees Egypt as, as a wanted felon with the charge of murder hanging over his head. He, that that's, doesn't sound like a deliverer, but God in advance has a plan. Didn't look like it at the time, in that moment. And I can tell you something. Any trouble that comes your way, God has a way out. Anything that would come against you to enslave you, to ensnare you, to trap you, to destroy you, God has a plan. And it's not a plan he has to make up at some point in time. It's already in the works. It's something that he's prepared in advance because he knows in advance. And his love compels him because he's a deliverer. God is a a deliverer. It's part of his nature. It's part of his his character. We look at the book of Judges, and it's a hard book to read. It's a rough book to read. But it's in there for a good purpose because it shows that this character, this nature of God, he's a deliverer. Every time God's people went astray, they would find themselves in horrific situations. And every time there would be a deliverer, that God had already planned for that comes on the scene and delivers Israel, delivers the people of God. David writes in Psalm 18, he'd been delivered from Saul who was trying to kill him. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. That, that's a great verse. That's one worth memorizing. He's, he's my rock. God is my foundation. He's my fortress. That means he, he surrounds me. He's, he's my protection and he's my deliverer. He's the one that will rescue me every time out of any situation. When Jesus wants to teach his disciples how to pray, help me out and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yeah, because that's God's nature. You're never in in trouble that's bigger than His ability to save you out of. Did I say that right? It's not possible. You can't trouble your way beyond God's power and strength. The enemy can't send trouble your way that God can't deliver you from and out of. That's a fact, and that's a promise. We see it time and time again throughout the Old Testament. God opens a red sea. He makes the sun stand still. He turns enemies back on themselves. Enemies that would swarm Israel. Because there's so many of them and so few of the Israelites. But God does something and, and delivers his people time and time and time again. Second Peter, Peter writes a great statement. He says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. That word trials there means experience of evil. Experience of evil. Harmful things, troublesome things, destructive things, painful things, evil things. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. Aren't you thankful for that? that that's good news today, especially for those of us who are... There's some area of a life of our life that's, that's filled with trouble, anxiety, or, or uncertainty. I, I, I just... Curious. How many today would honestly say they, there's something in your life you could you could use a little deliverance. You could use a deliverer. you could use somebody to come alongside and, and fix it and, and get you out of it. How many could say that today? There's, there's just a specific area that doesn't make you a terrible person, doesn't mean you're sinning, doesn't mean anything except that you're living life and it rains on the just and the unjust unfortunately, we're not exempt from that type of thing. I, I, I want you to know something. And I, and I hope by faith you'll take a hold of it. That no matter what it feels like, and it, it, it'll always feel like too much. It, it, it's too much. That, that's what makes us get to that point where we're saying, boy, I, I need out of this thing. Because if you could get out of it, you'd be out of it. Right? I need out of this thing. It's just too much, and you're under the stress of it. A relational thing, a financial thing, an emotional thing, a spiritual thing, a physical thing. Can I tell you something? God knew it before it came, and he planned for it in advance. God has a plan. He's working and unfolding it. It's a good plan. He anticipated this moment. Because God's not locked in time and space. He sees it all at the same time and knows it all at the same time. And he has, like Peter, I'm telling you, God knows how to get you out of it. And while he's getting you out of it, he'll be your strength in it. He'll be your resource during it. He'll hold you fast while it's unfolding. And you will see that moment of deliverance. I can't promise you when or where. I just know God. And I know he's true to his word. He's true to his own character. If you raised your hand, just raise it again, would you? Just hold it there a moment. God, we're just your kids. And we live in a fallen world. And we're affected by the world. We're affected by people. We're affected by culture. We're affected sometimes by our own inner struggles. But yet your word says that you know how to deliver. Your word says that your eyes run to and fro. Your eyes are upon your people. So Lord, I pray today for your people, those with hands towards you. That's a a banner of faith. They're crying and calling out to you. And you respond when your people cry out. So God, I, I pray deliverance in every situation, over every circumstance, in every life, in every heart. I don't know what the need is, but you do, and you've known it before it came, and you're going to see it goes. You're going to bring deliverance, healing, wholeness, reconciliation, provision, strength, all that's necessary for their rescue. God, rescue your people today. Let let praises and testimonies of your goodness and faithfulness and your delivering power come from this simple moment for your glory and your namesake. Amen. 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 Uh The third arc. We're going to go to Genesis 25. Israel's been delivered from Egypt. Moses is now on the mountain. He's being instructed by God. A lot of instruction comes to him. Some very specific instruction about the manner of worship that God expects and desires that the people are to offer before him. And all of it focuses and centers on this this tent called a tabernacle and In the tabernacle, there was a special place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was only one thing. And it was called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. It's the third Ark that we see in the Old Testament. Exodus 25.10 says, they shall make an Ark of acacia wood. It was a box. It was made out of wood, but then... It was wonderfully crafted, overlaid with gold. It contained the Ten Commandments, the commandments of God, the law of God. It it had a cover that had two cherubim that faced each other looking down and their wings touched. And God said, I'm gonna meet you there. It, It represented the presence of God being with his people. We know that there was a visible evidence of that in, in, from outside and as far as hovering over the tabernacle was a cloud in the day and fire by night. The presence of God. This cover was called the mercy seat because we need God's mercy. He looks, the cherubim are looking down and symbolizing that God sees his law through his mercy. Somebody say thank you. Thank God, God sees us through mercy, not just law. Amen. Mostly, of all the things that this ark meant to the people and that God's intent was for the ark of the covenant, mostly, it was an ark of atonement. It was about atonement. There was the law of God, and God knew the people weren't going to be able to keep it. And the people weren't able to keep it. You know Israel's history. They weren't able to keep it. And they were going to need a means by which they could stay connected to God, a means by which they could reconnect with God. They needed to be atoned. Their sin would have to be forgiven. Their sin was going to need to be covered so that God and his people could be in relationship with each other. So he constructs this ark and it's for forgiveness and reconciliation. And so we know one one day a year, the high priest, in this case, Aaron, on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest washed his garments. There was a whole ceremony that God instructed he, he washed himself. He put on special vestiges. Um he, he put on the, the, the vest that had the 12 stones so that when he went before God in the Holy of Holies, he was, he was carrying um, the, the 12 tribes of, of all of Israel with him. He, ought, he would make sacrifice for himself and for his family. And when he entered the Holy of Holies, he would he'd take a, a, a censer of hot coals and, and a handful of incense And he'd take the blood of his sacrifice, and he'd go in. And the first thing he would do was throw the incense on the hot coals, which would make smoke, and fill the atmosphere, because God is holy. And there had to be some type of a veil so that Aaron couldn't gaze completely on the holiness of God. And he would take the blood, and he would sprinkle it before the mercy seat on behalf of himself and his sins and the sins of his family. And then he would go back out. And there'd be another sacrifice, and he'd come back in with blood, and sprinkle it before the mercy seat, this for the sins of the nation. And in that atonement was made, God was satisfied, relationship was restored. One day out of the year, the day of atonement, this was an ark of atonement, even though that there were other sacrifices daily that would happen in the outer court. This happened one time a year so that people could rest assured that God had nothing, no offense against them. Because sin always separates us from God. Sin always divides us from God. Sin always puts division between us and God. But God always provides a way back. He always provides a way back because at the end of the day, God wants you. God wants to be in relationship with you. God wants you to belong to him because his character is such. He's a father, remember, he's a father. Three arcs, they remind us that God is just relentless in his pursuit of us, just relentless in his faithfulness towards us, just relentless in his love for us. His unwillingness to leave us on our own. His resolve that he's going to make a way. He's going to keep us for himself. Whatever that may mean or look like at the time. To care for us. To keep us. Three arcs. And each very effective. Unfortunately, each was temporary. Noah's ark gave fresh meaning to and a fresh beginning to mankind. Genesis 6, Genesis 11, we get just a couple chapters in and we have this mankind that God, you know, is is re-giving another chance to. We find them building a tower at a place called Babel to their own glory, for their own satisfaction. Didn't take long, it didn't last. We find Moses' ark. He delivered Egypt or er, Israel out of Egypt but not so much of Egypt out of Israel it didn't last the ark of the covenant provided atonement from sin reconciliation with god but it had to be done over and over and over again with daily sacrifices in between we don't have these arks today they they, they have gone by the wayside Noah's Ark, it seems God parked it on a mountain somewhere and we haven't found it yet. Moses' Ark, probably just thrown away, probably just discarded. Had no value, had no clue what to do with it, just probably got rid of the Ark of the Covenant. There's conjecture, but we don't really know. Some say Nebuchadnezzar, when he invaded, they carted it off to to Babylon, or they destroyed it when they destroyed the temple, we don't know. Some say that there were priests who, before the invasion, were able to secretly take it away, but didn't tell anybody, and so it's it's hidden somewhere, and we just haven't found, we, we don't know, but the Ark of the Covenant isn't here, it's not among us, but yet God wasn't done. That's the good news of this whole message, God wasn't done. And I'm going to ask you to stand because when you stand, I get done. (laughs) One more arc. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Jesus was born in a stall. I'm making this a Christmas message, by the way. You thought that I would. I didn't forget. I wore a red tie because it's Christmas. Jesus was born in a stall, but he was laid in a manger. If you look up the word manger, the best repeated definition I found, a box-shaped trough for feeding animals. He found a box. And he needed to do something special for us, he found a box. it another ark of God, ordained by God, made with human hands. This time though, not only filled by God, filled with God. John writes, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it contained something we could never, never attain for ourselves. We could never do for ourselves something precious, something supernatural, something world-changing. This manger was God's final ark. God's never gonna build another ark. Jesus is his final word. And the wonderful thing about it is Jesus is the fulfillment and completion of all the others that preceded. Of everything else that, that God has said and done up until that time, Jesus is now is the ultimate fulfillment of it all. He's the full expression of God's favor in your life. How do you know you, you have God's favor? I have problems. I don't feel so good. I have this struggle. Do you know Jesus? You have God's favor. As if you're giving you of your sins, you have God's favor. Because Jesus is the full expression. Let me read some scriptures over you as we go through this last part. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, do you believe today? And you have everlasting life. That's the favor of God. First John, John writes this, what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Salvation is good enough by itself, but salvation and adoption, forgiven of sins and grafted into the family of God. In my little Pentecostal church growing up, we didn't call each other Mr. and Mrs. We called each other brother and sister. Which, there's a nostalgic side of me that says, yeah, I wish we tried that again. Because it was a very natural reminder of our connection through Jesus Christ that we are an eternal family, stronger than biological ties. The blood of Jesus makes us one. We have a common father who sits on a throne. Jesus is our full deliverance from the power and control of anything other than him. Anything other than the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set you free So stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He set us free. Romans 8, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you know Jesus, your life is governed by a different law. We're born under the law of sin and death. We are reborn. We are born again under a new law called the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And in that, under that law, he says, I'll deliver you from everything. I'll get you out of everything if you trust me, if you walk with me. you live your life for me. Jesus is the full atonement for your sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to, who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews gives us even a fuller picture. He, being Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption all because of a box in a stall in a city called Bethlehem. The ark of God, the son of God, Jesus Christ has been given the greatest gift of all. Told you God's a gift giver. He can't top himself. He's given his own son. I, I, I love the Christmas season, the trees, the lights, the gifts, the carols. Some of you are going to go caroling this afternoon. I pray you have a blessed time, a great time. All the wrappings and trappings of Christmas, I, I love it all, and we—it's sh- okay to celebrate it all. But let's also remember, and above all that, that aside from being a holiday, Christmas is a holy day. Because on Christmas Day, God filled a box with the greatest gift of all. The gift that we needed. The greatest gift we could ever receive. Aren't you thankful for that? Where would you be today if God hadn't given that gift? What would your life be about today if God hadn't given that gift? It's sort of awesome to think about that. I do sometimes. And it just makes me thankful. It makes me humble. So through Christ we receive His forgiveness. through Christ, we experience his deliverance through Christ. We walk in his favor because God built, had a box built and filled it up with himself. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for showing us dimensions of yourself. Let us never forget them. Let us learn instead to trust in them. To trust in you. To trust in who you are. To trust in the work you've done and the work you're doing. And will continue to do. God, I pray your blessings rest upon your people. And I pray during this time, this special season of life, that we find special opportunity to celebrate you special cause to be grateful and thankful. And I pray you make us bold enough to share that with others who maybe haven't heard the good news, who maybe don't know what you've done for them. Give us a compassion for others and a courage to tell them about it. God, I pray you seal the truth of your word in our hearts today. I pray as we go from your house You go with us. Your spirit resides in us. Your presence follows after us and goes before us and is on either side of us. We are ever with you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.